0: Kate Parker, this is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. The coronavirus pandemic has impacted every aspect of life in almost every country around the world. The president compared this fight to war, and drastic actions are being taken to curb the spread of COVID-19 and cushion its effects on our economy. But these drastic measures are raising questions about whether our response to climate change should be just as strenuous. And some are even asking what role a warming world plays in the spread of infectious disease. This week, I spoke to Dr. Mona Sarfati. She's director of the Program for Climate and Health at the Center for Climate Change Communication. And as someone who has made it her business to know how climate change adversely affects health. She had a lot to say about the relationship between a warming world, infectious disease, and which one is the bigger threat. Mona, thank you so much for joining me on Warming Signs, remotely, of course, because we are social distancing, right? Absolutely. (laughs) There are a lot of questions whenever it comes to everything going on with COVID-19. I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And in the context of climate change i think this question is something that you know is starting to come up in people's minds the longer that this goes on do what do we know and not know whenever it comes to viruses and climate change i mean i know in the us we have a flu season that is really exacerbated by it being cold outside and people being indoors i feel like this is a question we need answered does do we know anything about covid-19 and climate change
1: Well, if you're asking about whether COVID-19 has occurred because of the changes in the climate, that is really at this point um, a question. We know that infections, major infections that have threatened humanity have jumped from animal reservoirs to people over a long period of time. And that's the reason that we uh, have had efforts at pandemic preparedness at the World Health Organization in many countries around the world uh, and in the United States in an office of pandemic preparedness that had been located in the White House. This movement of infections from animal to people have caused a variety of serious outbreaks uh, over time. Way back in 1917, 1918, there were about 20 million deaths around the world because of an outbreak of influenza that was apparently moved, which jumped from bird the bird population to the human population. And that was so impactful that... Uh, you know, it had an impact on the First World War that was going on at that time, and then, of course, there are many examples before that. Uh, there's a book that was written called "Guns, Guns, Germs, and History," which is a fascinating book by Jared Diamond, which focuses in on how infections have impacted history over a long period of time. Some of them just you know, generated from people to people, but this problem of animal reservoirs of infection impacting people is something else that we saw really dramatically with HIV infections causing AIDS that uh, appeared in the United States in the 1980s and it turns out had come from the ape population, perhaps from probably from the consumption of jungle meat and then it transferred around the world and became a you know terribly serious infection that we had to cope with here in the U.S. and many other places around the world for quite a few years until we figured out how to to at least contain it and to hold it in abeyance in the people who were infected. And then we had a SARS outbreak, which also you know was from an animal reservoir. I think they're still trying to figure out exactly where that came from but um, whether it originated in bats and then was transferred through a certain kind of cat that they have in, uh, in Asia. So that was another outbreak. These have been dangerous sources of infection that uh, our infectious disease experts have known about for quite some time. And they have been trying to get us to prepare for this you know, possibility. And I was telling some friends recently that uh, about a year and a half ago, my husband who is an infectious disease specialist Uh, And I, I being someone who focuses a lot of my attention on the problems of health that are caused by climate change. The two of us had a conversation at home that started to turn into a a heated conversation about whether the greatest danger to humanity around the world was an outbreak uh, like we're seeing right now or climate change. And, uh, you know, of course, both of those are dangerous to the health of the world's population. But, you know, we were having that discussion. And, you know, he is an infectious disease expert, knew a lot about just how dangerous something like this could be and how important it was to uh, to prepare for it.
0: I feel like that conversation and that argument I'm actually seeing play out in real time within the climate change communications community, like on Twitter and all these different places. Have you seen any of that? I feel like I'm seeing people bring up the point like, hey, all of this action around COVID-19, maybe we should have been thinking about similar action around climate change. So it's interesting that you two were kind of discussing those two big issues, and now it's almost like those are the two big issues coming to a head.
1: Yeah, no question about it. COVID-19 and climate change are both very real but different health emergencies. And uh, COVID-19 is a rapidly evolving public health emergency caused by a new virus spreading over weeks to months. And Climate change is more of a slow motion public health emergency that's punctuated by crises such as uh, raging fires and extreme storms and torrential rains with flooding and all caused by heat trapping pollution when we burn fossil fuels. Uh, Both of them are health emergencies, uh, but different. And uh, they both threaten us, you know, in, in different ways. We know some of the ways now that we're threatened by COVID-19. And people are increasingly aware that when it comes to climate change, uh, we're threatened by extreme heat and extreme weather and the uh, infections that are uh, occurring because of the greater growth of ticks and, uh, and mosquitoes. And allergies, which are happening in a more severe form because plants are growing over larger areas for more of the year, and in many cases because of the increased carbon dioxide in the air, are actually even more allergenic than they were before. And then you've got, because of the flooding, these places where... Uh, The floodwaters and sewage drain out of the same drain pipes. And so the sewage backs up and contaminates things. And people are threatened by outbreaks of, you know, contaminated plants or contaminated food. And, you know, while those threats, those threats are very real, the threats of climate change. And they're getting more visible. And people are clearly getting the message that this is something that they need to be more concerned about. We're, my program, which is the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health, is based at George Mason University in the Center for Climate Change Communication, and they study uh, how people think about climate change. And what they have found is that people are more and more concerned about how climate change may affect them personally. And almost 60% of the people are now saying that they think climate change may be affecting people that climate change is affecting people who live in their community. So, the recognition of climate change as a threat is growing. And, uh, you know, we really need to have our government, you know, be very upfront and frank with people about what our threats are. Now, we know that some people are threatened more than others. Uh, those who are more in danger uh, from the health threats of climate change include children because they spend more time outside and they're going to be more exposed to the heat. Their parents may not recognize that summers are not the way summers were when they were growing up. They may not realize they need to protect their kids more from the problems around heat exposure. Pregnant women, it turns out, are more likely to get into trouble during their pregnancies from heat and also from poor air quality. And then people who have underlying asthma or chronic lung disease or heart disease can also get into greater trouble because of extreme heat or because of poor air quality. Um, so they're at greater risk. And then people who are, you know, have fewer assets and can't get out of harm's way, when storms threaten, are at greater risk, and of course, that also applies to many minority communities that have already suffered environmental injustice. So while everybody's at risk from the health threats of climate change, change, some people are at greater risk. And we need the government to pay attention to the science and acknowledge that facts matter, that uh, we all need accurate and evidence-based, scientifically sound uh, information So, you know, so that our communities can take the measures that will protect our health. And that goes for COVID-19. And it also goes for climate change.
0: I want to go back to what you were just, you were, you were, Talking about this, you know, the government's involvement, but also mentioning extreme weather events, whether it's drought, whether it's, you know, extreme rainfall that's causing flooding that we're seeing an increase of across the planet. There was some research that was published earlier this year that really honed in on the possibility of more humans coming in contact or being forced into consuming different meats like bushmeat different things like that, like you were talking about earlier, this kind of cross between when animals and humans and, and the viruses make their way into the human population. Is that something that we're monitoring, that we're watching as a globe and being aware of those those potential sources?
1: Yes. So a few things about that. One is that because there has been uh, destruction in, in many places of, of the forest habitat and other habitats where animals live and the animal, animals are being forced out uh, into places where people are more likely found. And also because population increases and people need to eat and so they are looking for sources of nourishment that may not be the usual sources, they may end up eating animals that they wouldn't normally eat. So that is risky. And it's even more risky when those animals are sold in live animal markets and uh, in many cases just slaughtered right on the spot, which then exposes people in additional ways than just consuming the the cooked food. And so there are public health authorities that have been focusing on those problems uh, and trying to eliminate live animal markets, for instance, and public health authorities we're trying to get the Chinese government to close down those live animal markets for quite a while. This has uh, been an ongoing struggle. And for whatever reasons, it's been very difficult to do that. So that that is another aspect of this problem that requires that we have good public health systems in place. And I was going to say before that having strong public health systems are essential for prevention and health protection. And the discussion of the animal markets is an example of that Uh, having what we need for a pandemic you know is an example of that we've seen that we don't really have much of the equipment that is required to protect our health personnel and ourselves uh, against COVID-19 things like masks and so forth so that public health preparedness is a very high priority and not only have we seen some of our preparedness structures injured over the last five to 10 years, we've also seen our public health, our public health departments in the United States compromised, growing out of the big der- downturn, the economic downturn in 2008. When we had that dire financial situation and there was less revenue coming in to local and state governments, health departments were cut. And so our local Mm. health departments were compromised, and they have not really come back from that insult, you know, and which adds another layer of uh, lack of preparedness to to what we have to cope with what we're currently facing.
0: COVID-19 is obviously at the top of everyone's mind, but I'm curious what kind of keeps you up at night. You mentioned just so many different vectors in which we see you know, the climate and the warming climate playing a role in whether it's tick-borne diseases, mosquito-borne diseases, allergies, et cetera, what keeps you, your mind kind of churning as a worry that you're seeing on the increase as far as human health and climate goes?
1: Well, my greatest concern at the moment is a personal one, and I'm probably similar to many other people in uh, the country um, and around the world in that regard. I happen to have uh, four young grandchildren, all under the age of three. And I have uh, a son and a daughter-in-law who work in a hospital. And so the direct threat that COVID-19 poses to those young family members in my family uh, is of concern to me. And I also have been social distancing myself for the last couple of weeks and I'm already feeling uh, restless and haven't gone to the gym where I would usually go to be able to exercise. I have been taking long walks, so that's uh, always there as an option, and that's good. But, you know, uh, it definitely has become very personal. And then beyond that, I see how a pandemic like this has a very devastating effect on the economy. And so I am also worried about other people who live in my community whose jobs uh, are at risk and who may uh, have a marginal existence in terms of being able to pay their rent and buy their groceries and, you know, and what that's going to mean for them. And then beyond that, what uh, all this could mean for our economy going forward. And so we need to learn the right lessons from this. We really need to think about how we can pay attention to the environment better, you know, surveil, figure out what's happening, uh, live our lives in a way that takes into consideration what's happening in the environment. You know, we tend to think even in the health field, I'm a a physician in the health field. we, We tend to think about the impact of people's behavior on their health whether they eat the wrong foods, or don't get any exercise at all, or, you know, smoke, and other things that place them at risk. Or we think about their genetic predispositions. Are they more likely to have heart disease, and, you know, high lipid counts, and, you know, and so forth. Or, or we think about, you know, whether we have the treatments that we need to, to bring down risk, and to treat people when they get sick, and so forth. And, I also think about environmental risks, but that has been not the center, not as, as emphasized in medical training since I was in training, really, which is a while ago and, and coming forward. And that's something that needs to change because the environment has a very significant effect on our health. And what we're seeing now is a great example of it. Climate change is another example of it and we need to, to turn our attention to the environment and to whether it is a healthy environment, whether we've taken care of the, the, you know, our, uh, everything from our wetlands to, to the greenery around us, to our rivers and lakes and, you know, and all of the things that permit us to, to live a healthy life and our atmosphere and, Climate change is really all about what we have been putting in our atmosphere for many years now, without thinking much about what effect it could have. And we are seeing that the temperature is changing everywhere, in the ocean, in the mountains, everywhere in between. That's having uh, an impact on uh, the, the cycles, the rain cycles, the droughts, flooding, sea level, etc. And all of those things impact us through, you know, many different um, factors. And uh, so we really need to pay attention to our atmosphere. We need to pay attention to our environment.
0: I think that is a wonderful note to end on. Mona, I can't thank you enough for all of your insight and helping to guide us through this confusing moment, I think for a lot of people personally, and to look at some of the bigger questions and bigger issues that we have going on.
1: Well, happy to, uh, to have uh, been
0: here and thanks very much. Like most of you, we are working from home, the entire Warming Signs team. So thank you to everyone for getting this together on the team remotely. And thank you to my dog, Bruce, for not barking during this recording, which was a small miracle. If you'd like to talk to someone, anyone, talk to me. We're all isolated. Tweet at me, at WeatherKate. That's at WeatherKate, and you can find me there, and uh, we can have a little conversation about what's going on with this podcast as well as any ideas you may have. Until next time.